Brokenness is the way to blessing. And it's the last thing in the world that we really want to experience. We, as we went home last Sunday morning, uh, Margaret and I were talking about uh, starting this series of messages and kind of the consensus was as we drove home, this is kind of really frightening to some degree because when you really get serious about brokenness, coming to the end of self, um, and you allow God to accomplish in your life the principle of brokenness, there are a lot of things that we hold very dear that are so important to us that begin to be uh, threatened. Um, as Corey Ten Boom said, you know, God, sometimes it, it, it takes a lot of prizing to open that hand, to turn loose of those things that, that we hold to, that are so dear to us and so valuable. And sometimes the prizing open of the hand is a painful experience. And, and so brokenness is, for some of us, the last thing that we want. Um, but brokenness is the way to blessing, and it's the way to maximum usefulness. I'm absolutely certain of it. I want to give you two or three introductory statements uh, concerning brokenness. Number one, our usability is related to our brokenness. Our usability is related to our brokenness. You cannot separate brokenness from fruitfulness. If you have your New Testament, I will look at some selected passages tonight. One of them is the 12th chapter of John. Would you turn to that? The 12th chapter of John. And verse 23. You cannot separate brokenness from usefulness or usefulness from brokenness. Verse 23 begins, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it brings, it bears much fruit. Now are you, really, are you really sure that you want God to use you? Are you really sure that you want God to be able to use your life in maximum usefulness? You cannot separate brokenness from usefulness until that grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies. It bears no fruit. It abides alone. And when it falls into the ground and dies, it bears much fruit. Second thing, the real problem in a person's life is in a person's life. Your real problem is you. My real problem is me. The seventh chapter of Romans is the illustration of that. I wish I could read all of that, but time will not permit it. The seventh chapter of Romans, somebody called me this week and asked 
Where is that passage where Paul is talking about that he wants to do good, but he doesn't do good? He does exactly the opposite of what he wants to do. I said it's in Romans, I think the 10th chapter, found it in the 7th, reminded of what the principle of brokenness is that the real problem is us. The real problem is you. The greatest enemy of you is you. And I think it's sometimes when we begin to live the Christian life, somehow we come into the Christian life believing that when you become a Christian, all your problems are over. I mean, it's smooth sailing from then on. And then some of the difficulties begin to arise, which are always present in any life. Some of the problems that come. And we begin to, to see, now, now the, the, the reason for this problem is here. Or the reason for this problem is this. If I could just work this out, I'd be free of this problem. The real problem is you. And when some maturity begins to come and we begin to walk with the Lord, we begin to look down deep inside of ourselves, and we begin to realize that most of the problem, most of the mistakes we make are mistakes that are made out of the flesh, out of emotions that we have. Mistakes that are made because we've tried to figure them out. We've tried to, we've tried to solve our problems. The real problem is you. Because that's what the soulish life is. The soulish life is the self-life. It's, it's I'm in control. And brokenness brings one to the end of self. Listen to this tremendous statement by McLaren. God works with broken reeds. If a man conceits himself to be an iron pillar, God can do nothing with or by him. All the self-conceit and confidence have to be taken out of him first. He has to be brought low before the Father can use him for his purposes. The lowlands hold the water, and if only the sluice is open, the gravitation of his grace does all the rest and carries the flood into the depths of the lowly heart. Brokenness is the bringing to the end of the self-life. Number three, brokenness is a part of God's working. Brokenness is a part of God's working. Now, I've had some conversation with, with, with all kinds of people in all kinds of uh, spiritual and theological maturity in the Christian life, in the church. And, and there have been so many uh, misguided uh, opinions about what I'm talking about when I talk about brokenness. Some people think that I'm talking about, you know, just God just reducing man to a, to a nothing. Just, uh, you know, man is cowed down and God is just, you know, makes him a frightened, uh, cowed, helpless individual. Some people have that concept when they even hear the term brokenness. And some uh, don't even believe that the concept is, is, is valid. Where is that in the Bible? I've heard so many people say. I don't really believe that that is in the Bible. That idea is totally foreign to anything I've ever heard. But one thing of which most of us or each of us is in total agreement, I think, who understands what brokenness is, is this that it is something God does in an individual's life. 
It is something God accomplishes. Now, I can, I, I, you know, I can sit out and say, I want to bring myself to a new walk with God, to a new depth of spirituality. I want to, I want to give up all of these things and walk with the Lord and, and, and call that brokenness. Brokenness is coming to the place where I give God permission to do whatever He wants in my life, to bring me to the place He wants me to be. Now that shouldn't be frightening, but it might be to some. We understand and know that God is a God of love and He does only that which is best for us. And yet, who is there among us tonight who is really willing to say, God, I am willing for you to do whatever is necessary to bring me to absolute abandonment to you. Now, 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 let's be honest, that, that's a pretty big order. There's some examples of brokenness in nature. Let's look at those quickly. The first is the one I just read in John 12. A grain of wheat, if it, if it dies, it brings much fruit. Now, you take that little grain of wheat, you can take it and hold it in your hand, and, and it's a grain of wheat. You can put it in, a, in an urn and put it on the mantle of your fireplace. You can put it in a, in a trophy case if you want to. It stays the same. Some people I've seen little mustard seeds in little necklaces hanging around their neck. You can put it in a necklace and it might be beautiful to look at and attractive, but it will bear no fruit. It abides by itself alone. The only way that grain of wheat will bear fruit is for the life that's inside the shell, the hull, to be released. It's there, it's always been there, but it will not be released until that shell is broken and that grain of wheat dies. I read somewhere not long ago that they uncovered some uh, seeds that had been buried in Pharaoh's tomb that had been there for centuries. They took those seeds out and put them in the ground and they began to grow and bear fruit. The life had been there for centuries. It abided alone until it died. Now there are some tonight who have been Christians all of their lives that have been solitary Christians. You've been a Christian. You know Jesus Christ is your Savior. Your life has borne no fruit perhaps. It has, it has just abided alone. It will never bear fruit until self dies. Until there's brokenness. The second illustration in nature is found in the 14th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Let's turn to that quickly. The 14th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. And verse 1. Now the Passover and unleavened bread was two days off, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to seize him by stealth and kill him. For they were saying... Uh, not during the festival, lest there be a riot of the people. And while he was in Bethany at the home of Simon, the leper, and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume, nard, of pure perfume, of pure nard, precious ointment. And she broke the vial and poured it over his head. <laughs> 
But some were indignantly remarking to one another, Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor, and they were scolding her. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. Now, they carried this perfume, this precious ointment, in this alabaster box, in this case, and there it was, contained in the case. And the perfume of that, uh, that was housed in that case, in that vase, was really of no value to Jesus or to anybody around until the case was broken. She could not have done that good deed to him and blessed the others around with that fragrance until the box was broken. Does it sometimes bother you to think, you know, all of these things that I have done for the Lord and in, in, in behalf of the Lord really are of no value to Him? I mean, He may not even look upon them with pleasure because they're done in the flesh. They're done as the pure result of human effort. And God looks upon that with disdain. In order for it to be a good deed to Him, it has to come from the spirit of brokenness. There's a third illustration. It's found in the 17th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew or the 14th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, verse 17. And that is the illustration of the uh, loaves and the fishes. And the story will not have to be read just this. That in order for those loaves to bless and feed the multitude, they had to be handed over to Jesus and He blessed them and He broke them. And when He broke them, after He blessed them, they became a broken blessing that blessed the hunger of thousands around them. Um, don't, don't you hunger and thirst for God to make you a blessing? I mean, we pray, you know, make me a channel of blessing. Don't you long to be a blessing to others? The principle is brokenness. Now, a definition of brokenness. I'm going to draw a little picture here on this thing, one that we had in the, in the deal the other, other day. We'll just let this thing right here. Can you all see over on this side enough to know what that's, that is there? All right, we're going to call this outer here body, this soul, and the spirit. This is man. The body uh, is the sight of the, of the senses, the five senses. And with 
the body, man relates to his world. He is world conscious. The soul is the site of the personality, the intellect, emotion, and will. And soulishly he relates to self and others. He has world consciousness. He has self-consciousness. And the spirit of man is where he and how he communes with God. He only relates to God in his spirit. Now, there, here is an unbeliever, an unbeliever, an unsaved person. His spirit is dead. You know, the Bible says that he, his spirit is quickened by the spirit. His spirit is dead until God in the Holy Spirit comes to indwell him and that spirit begins to live. But so the unbeliever cannot live on the basis of the spirit. He can't understand spiritual things. The, the Bible says that over and over. The natural man receiveth not the things of God, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. His spirit is dead. He relates to his world through his, in his body through his senses. And he relates to his world soulishly, intellect and will and emotion. He relates to his world emotionally and in his body with, his, with the five senses. Let's look at a carnal Christian. A carnal Christian is a person who, who has the Holy Spirit living in him, indwelling him. The Holy Spirit has come to quicken his spirit and, and lives in his spirit. But the soulish man operates just like the unbeliever. He operates on the basis of his intellect alone, his intelligence alone, his emotions. He operates bodily with the five senses. I mean, he can go for months and never even pray. How can he relate to, his, to himself and to his world from the Spirit if he doesn't even commune with God, doesn't even worship, doesn't come to church, doesn't pray, doesn't talk to God, is not God conscious? You know some carnal Christians like that. The Bible refers to them as having the same darkness as the unbeliever. They live the same kind of lifestyle as a lost man. And they're soulish. They operate just like an unbeliever. And then there is the spiritual man. As we mentioned last Sunday, the spirit is the sight of the conscious, conscience, which is the discerning part of man, discerning right from wrong, is the sight of the intuition. This is Watchman Nee's idea. The sight of the intuition, which is the... Uh, uh, the, the uh, uh, sensing part of man deep inside. He senses this is God's will. This is God's word. He knows it beyond that uh, uh, human intelligence even. I mean, some of the things he knows to be true are even contrary to everything that makes good sense rationally and intellectually. Um, and, the, and the spirit is the site of communion. It's, it's the it's where man communes with God and worships God and talks to God and relates to God. Now, 
The man who is, who is a spiritual man is a man who operates with his spirit in control of his body. His spirit is in control. And, the, and his spirit is under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. And I don't think there's a better illustration of it than the analogy of the temple where those three courts are there in the temple and everybody's in the outer court and the, and the Jews and the priests in that, in that inner court in the holy place. But only the high priest in the holiest place and everything that takes place in this Jewish economy is on the basis of the revelation of God in the holiest place. The spiritual man lives his life out in, the, in, his, in his economy, in his lifestyle, on the basis of what takes place in here as the Spirit of God controls his spirit. That's the spiritual man. Now, these things that are out here are, are God-given. The senses are God-given. The emotions are God-given. I mean, lust is God-given. Desire is God-given. Passion is God-given. All of these things are God-given. But God never intended for us to operate on the outer man. He intended to, us to operate from where? From the inner man. And that's what Paul was talking about in Ephesians 3.16 when he talks about being strengthened by His might in the inner man. For God intends for us to operate our life, to live our life out from the, by the Spirit as God communes with man. Now let me, let, me share, let me say this. You can be saved and go to heaven and never be broken. You can come to church and give your money and serve the church and abide by the laws of God and never be broken. You can do that soulishly. <laughs> you can do every bit of it. You can live your Christian life out right out on this, from this part of man. You can do that. You won't, you won't, you won't have, you won't, it won't be exciting. It won't be something you enjoy, but you can do it. Brokenness is that which God does to bring a man so, to the place where he's not dependent upon his senses, his charisma, charisma his abilities, his, his talents, his God-given innate abilities. It's the, it's the bringing of man to the place where he's absolutely, totally dependent upon living his life by the Spirit as God reveals and leads and dictates. Now what is that? What, 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 what does God have to do to do that? You know, we live by suppression, most of us, or repression. We, we suppress our desires and our sins, etc. What does God have to do? Well, I'm not sure. <laughs> but I know He will. And I know the end result, the end result of brokenness is the most exciting church, is the most exciting uh, family, is the most exciting Christian life, uh, the most productive and fruitful is brokenness. Now, one of these days, you may get ready to pray this prayer. Lord, 
I am ready for you to begin to break me. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes. Heavenly Father, Lord, there, we, we, we sense some fear, some confusion. But, but, we, but we also sense kind of an excitement. And we kind of feel like saying, Father, this may be the answer for me. And I, and I pray, Father, that you'll help us to understand what it's about, what it means. Help us to hear the right way. Help us to teach what it really is. Help us to understand, communicate to our spirit so that we can spiritually discern the deep, the deep walk, the deep relationship. And I pray tonight, Father, if you have an individual will and purpose for an individual here, that you'll communicate that to him or to her. In Christ's name I pray.